Lufau will take a shot downfield. And it is hauled in by Bryce Bulba. What a one-handed catch. You remember that for your highlight show tonight. Proof pass to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon. With the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Sun Devils one and three. Here comes pressure in the face of Wiggins. He got hit. He got sacked on the 20 yard line. And that one's a no doubter for Jimmy Gilbert. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Punter to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. Newfell. Locked and one to the end zone. Cut. Touchdown, Shea Fields. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, the Buffs almost made Rich Rodriguez's head explode. Yeah, it was pretty fun to watch on television. Not the biggest Rich Rod fan. So, while I'm glad that he didn't punch one of his players, it was still entertaining to watch him holding a whole lot of anger. <laughs> Buffs 4-4 four for four in the red zone against Arizona. Does it seem like the offense is getting back on track a little bit, or is that more of a byproduct of Arizona's defense just not being that great? I think it's both. Uh, Cepho looked healthier, I think, which is the main factor um, going forward that's obviously going to translate we're playing better defenses the last two weeks of the year uh, so we're not going to get an Arizona level output I don't think in either one of those games Washington State is really underrated defensively overall Utah obviously we know has been pretty good defensively throughout the time we've been in the conference um, but just getting Cepho on track hitting people in stride getting the offense or the running game going a little bit in conjunction with that I think those are the important things moving forward and Arizona's kicker, who actually had really good stats going into that game, misses three field goals. It, it makes you, it kind of puts in perspective just college kickers, and maybe we should be a little less harsh on, on CU in their yeah, kicker situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I talk about that all the time, that there are plenty of horrible first-string kickers, and as soon as we went down, it's like, ah, oh, it's going to be a struggle. It's like, yeah, but we might as well just expect it, because there are not too many good backup college kickers around the country. Watch a lot of games, you see that. Although I would be interested to know, I feel pretty confident that we have had more field goals missed against us than any team in the country. It feels like there have been three or four games this year where guys have missed multiple field goals. Not in that Arizona State game, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Is he a senior? He is. Same. Man, he's, he's got to be drafted. Right. That guy's got a cannon. Yeah. I had a chuckle, of course, at Rich Rodriguez, and I also had a chuckle at Davis Price's extra points. I've never seen a kicker kick extra points higher than he did. It was very clear there was a message being sent that we're not going to allow any more of these blocks on these extra points. Yeah, I mean, that's all. Literally, the ball could go 20 yards. You don't need it to go any farther than that. Just make sure it gets over the line. Um, yeah, I mean, he looked good, I thought. The ball comes off of his leg much more uh, powerful, Much just looks better overall to the eye. I think he's got to be your guy going forward.
this week, obviously the Pac-12's top pass offense with Washington State going against the conference's best pass defense in Colorado. We'll talk a little bit more of this on our video preview, but just real quick, uh, what are your expectations for this matchup? I, I'm really looking forward to this matchup. I think it's going to be a treat to watch because I think it's going to be uh, kind of like two heavyweight fighters, you know, making a, a big play and then Colorado coming back and responding. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Washington State's offense has been potent as long as Leach has been there. Wherever he's been, his offenses are always potent. And we haven't seen anybody best our secondary yet this year, in my opinion. So something's going to give there. Uh, obviously, them losing their second leading receiver, kind of their Nelson Spruce type and River Cray Craft. That's a difficult name to say. Um, would be is going to be huge for them. Uh, I think that's going to line up one of our good cornerbacks on their third guy, and all of a sudden you have a little bit of an advantage there. They do do a good job of picking out weaknesses in the secondary, though. So I think Levitt's going to have to have some wrinkles in there. I think definitely the D-line has to have a huge game, get some pressure, get Luke Falk off of his spot, make sure he's running to the outside a little bit uncomfortable. What's the goal there? Is it – and you know, Washington State has actually had some success on the ground, so it's not black yeah. and white in terms of you stop them through the air at a certain number, you're going to win this football game. But you hold them under 280, 300, you got to really feel good about college chances. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because especially if we're putting up points, too, they're going to be trying to keep up. I mean, Falk is fully capable of throwing up 400, 500 yards against most opponents. But I agree. I think stopping the run is going to be what's most important for this team because – no matter how good your offense is, you're not going to be successful if you're in third and long every time down. Um, you're going to miss a few here and there, and that's all it takes to stop a drive. And they're not going to go for it on fourth and ten more times than not, especially on the road. So uh, making sure that you can control their run game a little bit, make sure they're not getting to third and short, because he's going to pick us apart in third and short. We won't have enough time to get to him. Um, there's too many weapons on that team. you got to be able to get him in third and long. Nelson Spruce is no longer the Pac-12's all-time leading pass catcher. Gabe Marks is. If there's a guy that's going to break Spruce, Spruce's record, I'm fine with it being Gabe Marks. Yeah. I like that guy. Yeah, Gabe Marks is pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty much everything he says in interviews makes me laugh. He's a pretty quirky guy. Um, and it's no surprise. I mean, a Washington State receiver at some point was probably going to break that record. Um, it's pretty incredible for Nelson to have gotten it in the first place, given how terrible the offense was while he was there for a good portion of the time. So... Uh, Nelson's still got a special place in my heart. He's the number one Pac-12 wide receiver for me. <laughs> and actually, Gabe Marks was asked about uh, whether or not Nelson Spruce had reached out to him, and he had a, a kind of a funny response to that. You heard from Spruce yet? Uh, Nelson Spruce? No. I mean, don't make it, don't make it a thing. Like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, hmm. maybe, maybe he doesn't like you or anything like that. I mean, he. He's got it. He's doing it. He's he's working right now. You know what I mean. He's on an NFL team, so I'm not like expecting anything from him or anything. I mean, we we know each other. It's not like I was like he has to call me now tonight because I broke his record. Philip Lindsay just 63 yards away from a thousand yards rushing, and we've seen Washington State have success on the ground, and I think a big part of that is you've got this heady quarterback in Luke Falk that makes checks at the line of scrimmage. I think you give some kudos for Philip Lindsay's season to, to Cepho a little bit. And that's one of the things when people have asked me, just looking at the stats, why, why wouldn't you go with Steven Montez? There's, there's many reasons. One of them is his ability to check them into the right runs. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just has a better operation of the offense. Simple as that, really. He gets guys where they need to be. The timing is there. The pace is there. All the stuff that you miss a lot of the time if you're not, you know, 
covering this team or following it as closely as you can be. Montez is a baller. He's got more physical tools. There's no doubt about that. Sefo struggled in a few games for sure. But Montez will have his time. Sefo's the leader of this team, and he's the right guy to be running it for now. And with Phillips specifically, uh, we finally got to see him be the workhorse that he's capable of being in yeah. that Arizona game. Mike McIntyre said part of what played into that is that Fox has so many timeouts and such long timeouts. This game, again, this weekend's on Fox. I think he'd be comfortable with Kyle Evans being out there a little bit, but it's been nice to, to kind of like fi finally see them go back to a feature back. I think there's just a certain rhythm that you get into it as, as a running back when you have all those carries, and, and certainly you can get beat, beat up as a result, but I just I hated when they had that rotation in, in previous years under the staff. Yeah, and I did as well. Um, I think Phillip has finally proven that he can be that guy. He had some fumbling issues younger in his, when he was younger in his career, um, and it's hard to you know have a guy with, who has that kind of issue getting 25 carries a game. You're not sure what's going to happen there. He's proven to be much more effective as a runner, I think, Last year, he went right into guys a little too frequently. This year, he's finding open space a little bit more. I mean, he's still not going to juke you out of your shoes nine times out of ten in, on inside the tackles, but he's finding space. He's trying to slide by guys getting a few extra yards, and that adds up throughout the course of a game. On the offensive line, there's some question marks, or I guess just one question mark at this point with Jeremy Irwin back at left tackle. Uh, he was sick for that Arizona game, so you get him back there. Jared Coe, though, it sounds like it's a pretty severe ankle injury. Uh, might be back for Utah, and they haven't ruled him out for this game, but I'd be kind of surprised to see him out there, which it hurts a little bit. He's been one of your better offensive mm -hmm. linemen this year. Jonathan Huckins probably can, can serve a, as a suitable replacement in there. But I want to throw out props to Shane Callahan. Uh, this is a guy that I, I asked Mike McIntyre about this, too, at, at his press conference, and I, I said, you know, obviously his – College career has not gone the way he anticipated, graduating uh, from Chaparral as this really highly regarded offensive lineman. Goes out to Auburn, transfers back home, and there's, again, even when he transfers here, even though he didn't play at Auburn, everyone was super excited. And he's just continued to work even though he hasn't maybe gotten the playing time or the run that he expected. And you said you didn't even really notice him out there in that Arizona game, which tells me he did his job. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's a pretty reliable backup. You have to say that for sure. I think most people expected him to be getting more playing time throughout his career here. He hasn't complained, though. Um, it's just worked hard. He's been a good teammate. I mean, we, I know him on a personal level. He worked for us at Blake Street for a quick minute. He's just a really nice guy, man, and I'm happy to see him, you know, have this team success that they're having. I know he's really happy about it, which you love. I mean, I just love to see him have a good attitude about this whole thing, and he's going he's gonna to go far in life no matter what he chooses to do. And he's uh, the middle of that punch shield that is fun. seemed to have gotten kind of corrected here recently, haven't had issues there. Mike McIntyre actually had a good sound bite talking about Shane Callahan. I told Shane in front of the whole team how proud I was of him. Um, you know, he is a phenomenal young man. Um, you know, and it was, a, you know, I think maybe the most highly recruited guy in the state his year coming out, definitely lineman-wise, one of the top one or two. Um, chose to go to Auburn. Um, after we were here, he called. He got a release and called and wanted to come back. We'd love to have him back. And you know, he's played on and off through his career here, and um, hadn't played a lot early. Had helped us tremendously on our special teams, um, and uh, and then was able to start the other day and, and played really well. And um, you know, he never said boo. He just worked hard. He had a great team attitude, and um, you know, he, he's an example. That's what you have to have for your for you to have a chance to win championships. People get hurt, things happen, people have to step in, star in the role. And when they star in the role, then everybody's dreams have come true. 
and that's what he did. And a lot of our players are doing that. That's how you. That's how you're a good team. It's not just your first eleven and all the guys. It's the depth you have, and they come in and they're ready, they're prepared, they have a positive attitude, they've been after it and competing. If he would have been sulking for the last eight weeks, he wouldn't have played well, would have hurt us, um, and he didn't. Um, you know, he has unbelievable parents, he's an unbelievable young man, and uh, I can't tell you how proud I am of him. Mike McIntyre said it right there, it, it takes a certain chemistry within a locker room to have a championship level team, and little things like Shane Callahan uh, not complaining about his, his role diminishing, uh, plays into that stuff. Depth is a part of why a football team is successful, a really integral part that people don't talk about enough. I mean, injuries happen. Special teams is obviously an important factor uh, many times throughout games. So, I mean, a lot of these unsung guys that you don't hear about a lot are really important to this football team's success, and it was nice to see one of those guys get a moment in a big game for this program. I mean, last road game of the year, obviously not against a great opponent, but it was a potential trap game. I mean, a game you need to win if you want to go the direction this team wants to go in right now. So uh, he's a big story, and you know, I'm just happy for him and the rest of those guys, too, that still aren't getting as much attention as they deserve. A guy I'd like to see have a moment is Sean Irwin down the stretch here. He uh, is kind of banged up his knee a little bit. Uh, they're hopeful that he'll play in this game. Uh, they, they've tried to work in the tight end a little bit this season. It just hasn't worked. I'd like to see him come up with a big catch in one of these last, last few games this season. What are your expectations for the, the environment at Folsom Field? Students... They're finished with classes at the end of this week, and a lot of them are obviously going to have plans to go back home for that Thanksgiving break. Yeah, I'm hoping that a lot of the local kids stay around for just the one day, you know, go home on Sunday and come to this game. I know they're trying to sell tickets in the student section, so they're obviously not expecting a full crowd, as they should not um, amongst the students. I mean, you have finals, you have break, and all that kind of stuff. Kids go home. That's understandable. That's part of life. Uh, But everybody that's graduated better be at this game. I mean, this team deserves your support. This team deserves a loud crowd. This team deserves every single advantage that they can get against an opponent that is definitely capable of beating us. So you have to come out there and support the team, man. I don't know what else you could ask them to do at this point to win your heart and your money or whatever you want it to be back. This team is a really good football team, and you should be there. You sometimes see kind of a a delayed reaction in terms of the ticket sales and you know, I bet the numbers for next year's season tickets are going to be great. They're going to jump up. But you're going to miss out on this season, and there's not going to be another season like this one anytime soon, if ever, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, this has been quite a run. Uh, I saw a stat today. I actually don't remember I found it. I'm going to have to look at it now. I think it was an ESPN article saying that if we win one of our last two games, we will have improved our conference record by six games, which hasn't been done in the Pac-10 or 12 since the 1940s. <laughs> That's incredible. And, like, I knew that this was obviously a huge turnaround, but to see, I mean, well, that's 70 years. That's unbelievable what this team has been able to do. If I were you, I would want to be a part of that, but I guess we'll find out. One of my favorite guys on this football team is Alex Kelly. And I've been covering the team for 13 years. It seems like the majority of that, Alex Kelly, I've either been interviewing him as a recruiter. He's been a player at Colorado. He's been around the program for so long now. But anyways, here's that interview with him. Is it uh, sinking in at all that you got two more games at Folsom Field? I mean, no, it hasn't really hit me at all because, uh, you know, we just kind of take one practice at one game at a time. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure sometime next week we will. But right now it's all about Washington State. When you're having a season like you guys are having, are there moments you can sit back and enjoy it, or is it so hectic going week to week and preparing for the next opponent, it's hard to do that? 
Yeah, I would say it's pretty hectic. I mean, we really don't have a, a chance at all to really like sit back and reflect. But I think that's a good thing because you're always looking forward. You're not, you know, you're not looking the past game of the season. You're always looking forward to the next game. Coach always talks about no conflict, no story. You had conflict before you ever even got on campus with the, the broken foot on the beach. What has this journey been like for you? I mean, it's it's been incredible, really. Um, you know, I've always wanted to have been a, a buff, and just the fact that we're in this position at this point in my life, you know, potentially playing to be Pac-12 champions, like, you know, this week and next week, it's just... I, I mean, I, I just wake up with a smile on my face. You know, today's our, our hard uh, full pattern practice, but, you know, I, I just can't help waking up with a big old smile on my face. Like, I get to play for the Buffs. Like, this is my dream. When your dad played here, what, how much success did he have as a player, as a Buff? Yeah, he had a lot of success. Um, I believe it was his freshman or sophomore year. I can't really remember. They went to the Orange Bowl and they played Ohio State. And, um, you know, they were, I think he said at one point they were second and third in the country behind Oklahoma and Nebraska at that point. But yeah, he, he, they definitely had a lot of success when he was here. Did you ever come out here during your childhood, like to go see your father's alma mater? Did, how much of a connection did you have to see you before you ever became a player here? Yeah, I, I grew up overseas, um, but I, I do remember I, I was pretty little still, I maybe four or five. We came out here to visit some family in Denver, and he, uh, he he gave us a tour of his old stomping grounds. And I actually have a picture of me, my two brothers, and my dad all out in Folsom Field in our like football stances, you know, uh, just showing us the place. And in, in terms of your recruitment, I think you're the the only Dan Hawkins recruit on this team left, right? At this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, actually, Shane Callahan was was okay. offered by Dan Hawkins too. But yeah, okay. so it's me and him. <laughs> Just in terms of this season, how have you felt like uh, you've played individually uh, your last year here? Yeah, I think I've done pretty good. Um, you know, I strive to to work to get better every single day and. We'll see what happens from there, but I, I think I've had a pretty decent season. You mentioned Shane there. You know, obviously his college career hasn't gone the way he envisioned coming out of high school. What does it say about him that he stayed on the ready to you know help out when Jeremy was sick last week? And it seemed like he had a pretty good game. Yeah, I mean, it's just the kind of guy he is. No matter what's going on in his life, he's always going to work. You know, he's had a pretty tumultuous career also, and just the way he attacks each and every day, you know, football and, and classes and stuff, it's just, you know, it really speaks to the, the amount of character that he has because he, he, he never, like, he's never down on himself. He's never down on his situations. He just wakes up and, all right, let's go to work. we got stuff to do. Uh, Philip Lindsay earlier this season brought you all into the press conference. What, what, what was that experience like? Uh, there's a lot of cameras. <laughs> um, you know, I've never really been in a big old press conference like that, so you know, I didn't really say much. But you know, it's cool just to be recognized a little bit. You know, that people don't really think about the O line, so you know that was cool. You have to have kind of that workmanlike approach as an offensive lineman. How much does it help when you have a guy like Philip that you know appreciates you guys and has the, the attitude towards it like he does? You know, it's it's awesome. You know, before every practice, every game, he comes up to each and every one of us and says, "Hey, I got your back. You got mine." And of course, we do. You know, he's like, he's really one of the vocal leaders on this team. And you know, going to battle with that guy week in and week out is it's it's just phenomenal because he's so high energy and, and loves the game so much. Washington State coming out here, they have a tendency to get teams into in attract meets just because of the way they play offensively. Does that change your mindset as an offensive lineman going into this game at all? No, I mean, they're really good at making other 
teams play their game, and we're really good at making other teams play our game. So it's really going to be a battle of who can execute the best, who is the most physical, um, yeah, and, and you know, just who has the best mindset going into the game. All right, Alex, appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. I was going to ask him about his comment in the press comments about Sefa Lufau having soft hands, but I, I forgot <laughs> to throw that in there. I wanted to see what was running through his mind and, and why he needed to, to bring that up. Because <laughs> he's Alex Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> that was great stuff. Who are your favorite guys on this football team? Uh, from a personality level? Yeah. I mean, Alex is definitely up there. He's a quirky dude. Phil Lindsay is definitely my favorite, though. I just love his heart, man. Kitzel, I used to ask him all this. He's just an awesome guy. He's going to be a big supporter of this program no matter where his career takes him, which is awesome. I mean, you love to have those legacy-type guys in Colorado. We need more of that. Um, man, as far as, like I talked about, Shane Callahan, I know him personally. He's a really awesome guy, one of the nicest dudes you'll ever meet in your life. Um, from interviews, I, don't I wish they really would bring Samson Kafavalu into the press conferences more <laughs> yeah. often. Yeah, I mean, I guess it just depends. Like, I really like um, Bryce Bobo on Twitter. Like, he keeps it real, and I respect that a lot. Has a lot of things to say, and he's not afraid to say them. So, I, I do respect that about Bryce Bobo as well. So, I guess those are the ones that stick out in my head. This show, we're going to kind of transition from football to basketball. Obviously, we're we're focused on the football side here now. And we'll kind of do the transition actually in the Buff Stampede mailbag. So let's actually bump your power rankings up a little earlier in the show this week, Tyler. Uh, what, what you got for us? Okay, here we go. I think it's starting to get pretty obvious at this point. Where, uh, where a little separation finally for a while there. Yeah, yeah. Last week we kind of talked about it finally separating out. I think we've fully established that this week. Um, there's talk that there's a pretty good chance that only six teams in the Pac-12 are going to make a bowl game, which has not happened since it was the Pac-12. So Arizona obviously sitting at number 12, still the only winless team in conference play. Uh, they might maybe have an outside chance of getting Arizona State. In which the last would be game funny because Arizona State needs that game to for, get to a bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They if they if Arizona they're, they're going to do it. You know they are. Yeah, they're if Arizona State does win, they will be the seventh team to get in. So uh, we'll see. That'll actually be kind of an interesting game to watch. That's a Friday game too. I'm pretty sure after Thanksgiving, um, Oregon number eleven. They really just look completely defeated to me. Uh, there's way too much talent on that team to be this bad. It's hard to really watch them play at this point in the year. Arizona State. Kind of in a similar thing right now. They're, they've fallen off the map. Um, looked a little bit better last week against Utah for three quarters before falling apart in the fourth. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm rooting for them to get into a bowl game or not. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> but if you pull most Colorado fans, they're, they're going the other yeah. direction. They're yeah, but I, Air, that means Arizona wins, and that's not great either. But don't you so. kind of like this this kind of rivalry you have a little bit with Todd Graham and yeah, if if they at least go to a bowl game, he's going to feel less heat, which keeps that rivalry going along. A little I don't bit. know. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing for Colorado. He could stick around if he has. No, one. I think I think it's fun. <laughs> yeah, um, Oregon State at nine. Um, I really love what they've done. Honestly, this year they've been much improved. Uh, kind of same. We talked about this last week. I think too a similar trajectory to what we saw from Colorado a few years ago. Really love how tough they are. I think they could get a few more pieces athletically, especially on defense. They can move, make a move up in the standings the next couple of years. Um, Cal, that win against Utah is kind of looming large for them at this point. Otherwise, they'd be in a world of hurt. Uh, they're going to have to win both of their next two games to make a bowl. They have Stanford at home. So, I mean, it's, it's possible. They score a ton of points if you get a few quick hitters. You never know. Um, and then they finish the year with uh, – 
And they have another winnable game. UCLA may be somewhere in there as well, I want to say, is what they have left. Uh, speaking of UCLA, I have them number seven. Um, they also need to win both of their closing games in order to make a bowl. Uh, they have to beat USC so in, along the way in order to do that. So good luck with that. Yeah, Cal, Cal finishes with UCLA. Okay, so, so one of those teams are going to eliminate each other from bowl contention at some point. So there you go. There, um, You're losing another bowl team potential as well. Uh, Stanford number six. College football top 25 this week. Um, that's a pretty good six-ranked team, I would say, in, in a conference. Obviously, the back half of the schedule or the conference is pretty shaky, but the top half is starting to uh, pull away. I, I was a little surprised. I thought they might get in, and I saw – some teams out there, I thought maybe a Troy or a Houston would get back in. Potentially, um, a few of those lower conference teams had a chance to sneak up ahead of themselves. So happy to see them get into the top 25. Um, I have Utah at five. Uh, again, it's a pretty solid number five. They, they uh, talked about how impressive they were in, against Washington. Um, ASU game, they kind of reverted back to that same, eh, you know, they're a team that's okay, but they ended up closing the game out, but they didn't do anything to really impress me. I mean, Arizona State scored a bunch of points in that game. Um, so they're sitting at five. Uh, Washington have at four right now. Kind of a big drop, but they're just so so tightly contested in the in the top four right now. I mean, they lost a game this week. They're no longer in their division lead. Washington State has them at home. Uh, they're going to have to step it up in order to win the division as well. Uh, Washington State, I have third. Still undefeated in conference play. They're the only undefeated team in conference play right now. And, they, again, they have Washington at home, so they're going to have an opportunity to win. It, this game this week against us literally doesn't matter. If they win their game against Washington, they are in the Pac-12 championship game. So um, right now they have the slight advantage there. I'm going to have Colorado at number two. Obviously, they're number two in the college football playoff standings behind Washington, but the team we have first, USC, we lost to them in a game that they had four turnovers. There's no doubt that they're the hottest team in the conference right now. So it's hard not to say USC is the team um, that's been most impressive throughout the last five or six weeks. Notice the Seattle Times did their Pac-12 power rankings and had Colorado number four. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's definitely possible. Uh, all, all those top four, even top five teams, I would say, are all very, very close to each other. I mean, there, you have um, Washington State, who's been incredibly hot, haven't lost a conference game, and four teams who are ranked between 7 and 13 in the playoff standing. So there is not a lot of separation between those and we'll figure out how they how they break here in the next two weeks we've got some questions about actually kind of how we see this pac-12 championship uh, i guess the the race the battle for the the pac-12 championship game uh so we'll, without further ado it's time to dive into the buff stampede radio mailbag which is presented by the blake street tavern located one block north of coors field the blake street tavern has been denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Ralphie's Running asked, what is your biggest area of concern for this game, and what is your biggest source of confidence? Asking, where do we match up well, and where do we not? Well, what makes this game so fun is that Washington State strength matches, and Colorado's strength, are going head-to-head. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the concern there a little bit is that this is the best passing offense we've seen. Is that the, is it good enough for them to make our secondary look more average? Um, so that's the biggest concern. To me, though, the biggest concern overall is stopping the run. Got to make their offense one-dimensional, even if it is a dimension that they're very comfortable in succeeding in. 
against our defense, you got to be successful in all aspects or you're not going to score enough points to win. When I asked Sefo Lufau to talk about Washington State's improved defense and he says the word stunts, I just immediately have flashbacks to the Hawaii game last year. Oh, God, yeah. Thank you for that. So, I, was, <laughs> I had lost that in my memory bank until right now. Um, yeah, our offensive line is going to have to pl- uh, play really well. I think uh, I would love to see us use more power, though. They have small guys up front throughout all four positions they use there. Uh, try to get four or five-yard chunks at a time. They're going to use Cepho a ton in this game, I have a feeling, uh, to try to get into those third and short situations. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm really nervous about the game, so it's hard to really say, but I think it's going to be a fun one for sure. J.G. Buffs had this to say, I think the line at minus four and a half is too small. For as weak as CU's wins seem to some, Washington State's are much weaker. I think CU wins and covers on the rationale that our defense at home and versus CSU this year has been lights out. Teams have scored 7, 7, 6, 16, and 10. Obviously, none of these teams have the offensive firepower of Washington State. I just don't see them scoring more than 24 points. Thoughts? Well, if they hold them to 24 points, they're going to win this football game. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that as well. Um, yeah, I mean, the defense has been spectacular at home. We've also played not very good teams at home. <laughs> Washington State is definitely the best team we've played so far uh, in Folsom. Um, so that's all. You know, you have to count, take into account all that. I actually felt like I guessed that the line was going to be 3.5 or 4.5, whatever it opened at. I forget which one. Um, but I honestly feel like that's probably a little high rather than a little low. Um, I, I think Washington State is a really good football team, and this is going to be really tightly contested. Yeah, you can say the teams have scored 7, 7, 6, 16, and 10 against Colorado in the state of Colorado, but then you have to look at the other side of it, and the last few weeks Washington State scored 56 against Cal and 69 against Arizona, so there's that other side of it as well that you've got to factor yeah. in there. Dorn09 asked, any update on how our red shirt scout team guys are looking? And actually, we got this question a few weeks ago, and I promised that I would do some digging on it, and I didn't. I failed. Oh, Adam. Come on. All right, fine. Can I, can I request somebody then? Sure. Akil Jones. Talk to me about Akil Jones. Find out what's going on with him. I, I loved will, him yeah. in fall camp. I think he has a chance to play a lot next there, year. There's so many guys like Akil Jones, Trey Udofia, Ronnie Blackman, guys that three years ago are out there on the field, and we're watching them grow up and yeah. go through those growing pains and now you don't have to do that it's all behind the closed yeah. practice gates which you think, you think that's not a big deal but i mean could you imagine having jimmy gilbert for another year if we were able to redshirt him as a freshman yeah. i mean how good would jimmy gilbert be next season right yeah so i'm going to maybe i shouldn't promise because i i failed last time but i'll get on you about it don't <laughs> worry fans i'll make sure he gets it done <laughs> but you know that is in my defense that goes to show you just see you've played well in previous yeah. years. I'm doing stories on guys that are redshirting midway through the season because fans are depressed and they yeah. want to hold on to something for, sure. for the future. So, And that's kind of what spring ball is for anyways, right? Mm-hmm. Nippus13 wants to know about Addison Gillum. Is he still on a snap count or are Gamboa and Gillum on a rotation? And that's just how it's going to be for the rest of the season. If I rem- remember correctly, Gamboa started against Arizona in a matchup that seemed much more suitable for a faster player like Gillum. I like Gillum in the trenches. He is tough and a sound tackler. I get scared seeing Gamboa trying to run down any player faster than a blocking tight end. Is Jim Levitt running a rotation on a team-to-team basis, or because Addison still needs to be held held to this amount of playing time? 
So uh, apparently Addison Gillum was in a minor car accident on the way from his place to the team bus to leave for the Arizona game. It was not severe enough that he couldn't play in the game, but I think that played into his uh, playing time in that football game a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I agree with some things and disagree with others that he's asking slash stating here. Um, Addison Gillum definitely is a better fit to play against Washington State, probably. Um, I will say this, though. Rick Gamboa is in the right place like 99% of the time, and Addison Gillum is not always. So there's opportunities for Washington State if he blows an assignment to get some big chunk yardage. But obviously, Rick Gamboa is not a guy you want guarding Washington State wide receivers. So there's kind of a balance there. You got, you're going to see both guys. Um, Addison has started to play well throughout the past couple weeks. In the, when he did play in Arizona, he missed some gap assignments, though, so he's going to have to shore that up or Washington State's going to get some big yardage plays. Buff in Vegas asked, I purchased my ticket to the Pac-12 championship game in Santa Clara three weeks ago. Who will I be watching at the game? Based off your power rankings, I think we might have the same thinking here, Tyler. Something just tells me... Colorado goes one and one down the stretch. USC beats UCLA, and they kind of find they sneak their way into that that championship game. Yeah, I'm nervous about that happening as well. Um, I honestly will say, I, if we get the Washington State game, I'm going to start to feel pretty good because I do think we're better than Utah. Uh, we'll see. That game is always close. You never know. But the Washington State game definitely has me very nervous right now. We do need to win both games in order to make it. If we do not make it, I agree. USC is the team most likely to go. They're really hot right now. Um, We'll see how it plays out, but I hope, oh God, I'm nervous to say this because now people are going to freak out, but I hope that people aren't disappointed, I guess. Obviously, you can be disappointed that we didn't make the Pac-12 championship game, but going 9-3 and three in the regular season is more than any of us could have asked for, and I'll still be pretty happy with where we ended up. Obviously, you miss a big opportunity, but there's no shame in losing to either one of these two teams. They're both really talented. We do have a chance to win them both, but it's not the end of the world if we don't. Just so close to this being right. a special yeah. season that you remember forever, which is yeah. what leads into that, would lead into that disappointment. I'm going to, I mean, it's flip a coin almost between the Washington schools. I guess I'll, if you stuck a gun to my head and said, you have to make a prediction here, I'll go Washington, USC in the championship game. Yeah, that would probably be my, my guess too. I mean, based on what we saw up in Washington, that would be a hell of a game. A lot of talent on the field. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Washington State will have the advantage, obviously having the game at home, but Washington, I think, is the better team of the two. So, yeah, in the north, I, I would probably take Washington as well. C.T. Buff asked, if CU wins the next two games and loses to Washington in a Pac-12 title game and Washington does not make the college football playoff, where does CU go bowling? I'm really hoping for San Diego, but I'm starting to worry about an Alamo bid, which would suck. So... Yes, you. if you don't want to go to San Antonio, you should worry because I think in that scenario, because that would be the number two for the Pac-12, and Washington would obviously be going to the Rose Bowl. Yeah. And Alamo is the number two Pac-12 bowl in terms of the hierarchy. Yeah, and they, they can take USC um, as long as you're within a conference game of each other, I guess you could say. Um, but I would be surprised if somehow USC doesn't get into the – uh, the ball that's in San Diego, which is escaping me at the moment. The name holiday, of holiday ball. ball. Thank you. Just because of the proximity, and they would just, you know, for them, they're going to fill the seats of that stadium if they if they can make it happen. So it usually seems to work out that way. I'm not. I I have never been to San Antonio, but I think it would be pretty cool. I've spent a lot of time in San Antonio covering U.S. Army All American Bowls, and we stayed right on the Riverwalk. 
it's kind of a just a glorified canal. It's not like <laughs> this nature thing, but the environment on the Riverwalk is really cool. You've got all these restaurants and people just kind of mulling around. It's actually a, a really good city. San Diego, though, is one of my favorite places yeah. on this planet, if not my favorite place to go on vacation. So, I, you know, it's funny they don't do the bowl hierarchy based off the city, but maybe they yeah. should do that a little bit more often. Because even the, the Sun Bowl is like is is ahead of like a Phoenix Bowl, which makes no sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think too many people are out there uh, clamoring to go to New Mexico or El Paso, Texas, or wherever that is now. El Paso. El Paso. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I would say this: San Antonio is not a a bad consolation place to go watch a bowl game. And actually when I've covered those U.S. Army All-American Bowls, it's like the kind of the week leading up to that bowl game. And you see all those fans out there, and they're having a blast. So Yeah, and I would say, I mean, they, I went, we went to New Mexico and CU made the, bath, the NCAA tournament for the first time in forever. And trust me when I tell you that there will be a similar experience in San Antonio if that's where we go. There will be a ton of bus fans there who are having a lot of fun, and it won't matter one bit the location that you're at. Worst case scenario would be Foster Farms at this point, I would think, if you lost both games. Yeah, I, I would still be surprised if they dropped all that way, but I guess we'll see. Well, because if you lo- lost both those games, obviously Washington State and Utah are finishing ahead of you. USC's doing well. Washington's doing well. I think you probably would be relegated to that bowl game if you lost both of them. I don't know. I still feel like I guess we'll see. Just as long it's as it's not the Sun Bowl, Tyler. I've, my dad <laughs> actually used to live in El Paso. I've spent way too much time in that city. I don't ever want to go back. Yeah, I've never been there, and I hope not to. Sorry, Steven Montez. <laughs> All right, we will move on. Looks like another kind of bowl slash. Yeah, here we go. 2018 Buffcrat. Considering both teams may be in Rose Bowl consideration, would they shy away from a Michigan versus CU rematch? If anything, I would think that would be an attractive game, given that CU played them tough on the road and yeah. could have won the game if not for Cepho's injury. Yeah, they do try to sh- get away from rematches, it seems like. Uh, but, yeah, that would be an awesome game. I mean, you would think, especially Wilton Spade out, Matt, uh, makes that even closer, most likely, than it was before. Uh, neutral field, Cepho healthy for a whole game, hopefully. I mean, I think that could be a lot of fun. Two of the best defenses in the entire country um, and a lot of weapons offensively, too. I mean, that was a great matchup the first time, and it would be again. Chances are, though, probably that Michigan and Ohio State could potentially still both get into the college football playoff the way things kind of fell apart last weekend. If you're going to take a two-loss yeah. team, isn't Michigan probably I mean, the Michigan, top If Michigan there? was undefeated going into that game, I would, I would have said the chances were really high, but I mean, I Michigan is lucky to still be sitting in that third spot despite a loss. I think if they go down again. But if Michigan beats Ohio State, couldn't you see Ohio State still making the Yeah, yeah, definitely that's more possible for sure. I mean, it's going to depend. If Louisville comes in undefeated based on where they are now, if they win their last few and have one loss, and then if Washington does too, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the committee to get one of those teams in there, I think. So we'll see. Nip is 13 with another question here. If you had a place to play on the roster right now as the starting nose tackle, position for next season, who do you think that player would be? I'll let you answer this first, Tyler, but I, I've got to say, I think the chances are that guy is not on the roster right yeah, now. Yeah, that's actually what was my answer was going to be as well. If it had to be somebody, I guess I'd probably go with maybe Lyle Tuliloma. That's what I was going to um, say. Just from a, but a body standpoint. There's nobody, yeah, there's nobody out there right now that you really feel too confident in, although it does seem like that position always works out for Colorado in some way. I mean, Worked out for us well last year when there was a lot of concern um, with Justin Solis, who was pretty average throughout his career until last year. Obviously, Lyle or Eddie Lopez aren't going to have the benefit of being 
seasoned veterans when they come in or whoever else it may be. But, yeah, I, I think what's best for this program is if that guy isn't currently on the roster. If you, Yeah, you definitely can't base the answer to this question off their current depth chart because Jace Frankie is the backup right now, and Brett Tons, I think, is the of those younger guys is actually the one that's listed on the depth chart. I just can't see you. Yeah, I'd be surprised if Jace doesn't get moved outside. He's actually looked really good in that role, um, the outside role so far this year. I mean, we've been trying to pay attention to the rotation a little bit, and Coleman and um, Jace Frankie and Leo Jackson too are all getting quite a bit of BT in the last few weeks. So Leo Jackson actually has kind of a squattier frame, but still, I don't. I mean, he's put two eighty. I don't. Yeah, he's not. I mean, mean, who knows? I mean, he could get up to three hundred, maybe. I'm not sure if they're trying to keep him leaner right now or what, but. Yeah, I mean, I think he has a chance to maybe move inside. W. Redish asked, uh, do you expect any late blue chip names to pop on the radar, hoping we save a few spots in case, especially when coaching changes start to happen? We've talked about that before, that with these coaching changes and all that stuff, that there's going to be names popping up in early December that we don't know about right now. And uh, they're still kind of trying to figure all that out. The good thing is you've got about nine, ten spots still open at this point. Yeah, they've kept it pretty open for most of the football season so far this year. I think they're going to continue to do so. Uh, this obviously, this upcoming weekend, there's going to be some guys coming in with. Uh, there's some guys that we want on the team, so they'll take commitments from those guys. But I would expect at least five or six to be kept open for those January uh, and late December visits. Golf pro buff asked, have your opinions changed from when you last did your recruitment confidence ratings when you had uh, the listed recruits and likelihood of them becoming a buff on a 1 to 10 scale? Nothing super dramatic with those guys we discussed, but (laughs) Tyler, there's going to be some news here. We hope. Football recruiting news pretty soon that's going to have Buffs fans singing. I hope so. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if I'm ready to believe it quite yet, but uh, Adam usually knows what he's talking about, and he seems pretty confident in this one. So we kind of botched the the whole game day coming to Boulder thing. So maybe that. Yeah, man. <laughs> God, I didn't thank God, but yeah, that sucked. I didn't say Western 99. Michigan. Come on, bro. Yeah, that was tough. Like I could have understood if they went to Morgantown. It's a big game. Morgantown's pretty cool. They've been there before, but come on, man. But aside from that, Tyler, when's the last time I teased something and it didn't come true? Other than that. Uh, Track record's pretty good, right? I guess kind of Xavier Newman first time around, maybe? But he's got on the commitment list yeah, right now. Yeah, he is now. now. It I worked mean, out. I could have predicted that Texas was going to offer him a scholarship. you got to know everything, bro. <laughs> You're pretty good. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be confident here, but this would be a big one, guys. It would be a big one. This is our last uh, football question. It's not even really CU related. Ralphie's running asked, "If you two were playing in the football game this Saturday, what would be your pregame pump-up song?" Oh Jesus. Um, I'm gonna go. Mama said, "Knock you out." Hello, <laughs> Cool J. And then at halftime. I'm going to uh, till I till I collapse by Eminem. 
That's nice. on my yeah. M&M. M&M. Yeah, okay. So here's the thing about Eminem. I love Eminem, and he's great for this. But I think I talked about this on a podcast before. Michigan literally just played every Eminem song that's ever existed pregame. I while we were that. in that city. It was like, come on, man. We get it. Eminem, we know he's from Detroit, okay? Just leave it alone. I don't know. I don't have a good one. I missed this question. Sorry. But you, you have a good story about uh, your, your high school basketball team. Oh, yeah. We Fly High, Jim Jones. That was pretty uh, pretty good one. Looking back on it, it just seems so ridiculous because you were a bunch we, of white kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from Castle Rock too. It's not even like we had some semblance of like rough upbringing. So yeah, we did. We fly high, Jim Jones. Love the song, and I'm from Cleveland, so I'm a hip hop guy for sure. But uh, yeah, looking back on it, strange choice. You laughed at my my answer there. Your your mom had ever asked you to knock anybody out. No, I don't think so. She'd probably be really, she probably would have knocked me out if I knocked somebody out. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a little men's basketball to talk about here. But we'll start it in the mailbag section here. Buffs AZ asked, What's the word on Dom's foot injury? He may be the site's most criticized player, but he is the most critical for team success. Tad Boyle is awesome with the media, he lets us into practices. He gives us great answers. We don't even have to press him. He presses his own team through the media. Injuries, though, I'm oh. not going to upset the big guy, but he answered this question after the game, and we have that audio, so I'm just going to throw that in there. Okay, did he tell you the same thing they did on the Buff Stampede video with Mark Johnson? Because Dom Collier answered this question. Did you see that? Oh, if it's, if it's out there, then you Oh, answer. yeah, it's on Buff Stampede. It was on the Buff. What do they call that thing? Buffalo Stampede. Buffalo Stampede, yeah. Think segment they do with Mark Johnson, and, yeah, he broke his foot. Fractured it in two places, I guess. He's out four to six weeks. Oh, okay. I didn't so, know if that had come out yet. Yeah. That's that's what Dom said in the interview. So I guess it's out there, and, I mean, I guess we can use it now. But that's really disappointing. He He's – people – he might not even be a point guard at this point for this team. But he is a guy who's going to break zones. I mean, he would have really helped to last – or not last night, but whenever we played Seattle Monday night. And um, – we're going to miss him in the non-conference because he can really shoot the ball. I, I think they found a good role for him this year. It sucks to see him immediately go out with injury. This leads us into our next question from LJBuff04. Is there any chance they hold Dom out for the year and use his red shirt? Seems like he could use it, and with the depth we have, it might break up guys a little bit. Although it would then put him in the same class as Thomas Akiazili. Yeah. Four to six weeks Puts him back in, what, the beginning of conference play? Yeah, right at the beginning of conference play. Let's assume in six weeks you're going to be January 1, which is our first uh, Utah, first conference game of the year. Well, I, I would say no to his question for a couple reasons here, and it both is related to Bryce Peters in that I think he's going to be really good, but he's not quite ready to take on that big of a role as a backup point guard right now. So if Dom Collier's back by conference play, you definitely don't redshirt. You want him out there. You need him for this team this year. Yeah, and there's been a lot of complaints about how the team looked on Monday. But at the end of the day, Derek White is hurt. Dom Collier is obviously hurt as well. Um, and Wesley Gordon has been battling ankle injuries as well. So I, And Bryce Peters was suspended. I mean, this team can be a lot better uh, if they're 100%. Uh, we'll see what Bryce Peters adds to the equation. But they're obviously going to need him now with Dom being out. I would not redshirt him either. You're really going to need him for conference play. This is, I think... A year where we can really take a jump up in the standings, and you got to have all your pieces ready to go if you want to do that. And you'll continue to recruit, and you know, let's be honest. You know, Dom Collier, while he can do some things and really help this team out, I think you can get a better player two years from now at yeah. that position. 
Oli Buff asked, why do Tad's kids struggle so much against his own defense? Anything other than they're playing man-to-man in practice, they do not look like a well-coached team under Tad against a zone defense. Um, they do practice zone. <laughs> they so. do, but it's like one of those things like if it's related to football, if you are like have a spread offense and then you go up against a Stanford, you know, case in point, Oregon at times, yeah. You're not used to that on a continual basis. Even if you try to replicate it on scout team, you haven't recruited to that. You don't practice that on a consistent basis. The reps that you that you don't have against that definitely play into it for sure. Yeah, here's what I'll say about zone. Teams use it when they have athletic disadvantages. The only reason that teams use zone is because they know they can't stop somebody man-to-man. Now, sometimes it works. It worked for Seattle on Monday, but we also shot incredibly poorly and missed a lot of wide-open looks. They didn't play well overall. They had 19 turnovers. Not a ton of those were in the half-court offense. There's a lot of transition turnovers, and, you know, they just didn't play as well in that game. Yes, they're not as great against the zone. Tad doesn't love the zone. That's never going to change. In years past, they weren't a great shooting team. This team can definitely shoot the ball. Dom Collier being out hurt them. Um, Them just shooting the ball poorly hurt them. Just don't overreact to one game. Yes, they struggled. Yes, it looked ugly. I think they'll be fine in the long run against the zone. We'll see. JG Buffs wants to know, Tyler, who do you see as a possible replacement for Tad Boyle? He says, he went on to say, I'm not serious with this question, but others seem to be. You were saying before we started this show that CU fans on Twitter are kind of driving you nuts with the men's basketball program. I think I've muted a lot of those people. I haven't quite seen it quite as much. Well, what's taking yeah, place in, I mean, in the cesspool that can be Twitter at times? Here's the thing. If you want to complain about what Tad Boyle has done to this program, that's fine. You're wrong, but it's fine. If that's the direction you want to go. But if you can't give me a legitimate person to replace him that's feasible for this program, then why are we even having the conversation? You can say, oh, I want to take this program to new heights, and Tad Boyle hasn't won enough tournament games. And it's like, okay, fine. He's won more tournament games, or he's been to the tournament as many times as we have in the 50 years prior to his existence. But if that doesn't change your opinion, fine. But who are you going to hire? Because if you tell me, someone on Twitter was like, Andy Enfield. Really? Andy Enfield? What has he done that Tad Boyle has not? Okay? Bobby Hurley was another one. It's like, okay. They were like 10th in the conference last year. Tad Boyle has done that zero times. It's just, you, that's not a good enough guy. Why are you getting rid of Tad Boyle for those two? And if, the, and if the guys you're talking about are like Bill Self, come on. That's not happening. There's 20, you know, there's... 25 coaches in America that I could say for sure are probably better than Tad Boyle, and not one of them is coming to Boulder to coach the basketball team. So I don't understand why we continue to have this conversation. What he's done for CU basketball is ridiculous. There's no other way around it. Yes, you might want to be a top 10 team in the country. We all do. But some things aren't reasonable, and that's one of them. Pretty good rant there, Tyler. Thank you. What were your main takeaways from those first two games? Obviously, they, they shot the lights out against Sacramento State and then got yeah. really cold against Seattle. Uh, they need to be able to score more on the interior. That's looking directly at Wesley Gordon and Torrey Miller. They're going to be really hot and blow some teams out, and when, they're, when they don't shoot the ball well, you're going to see some tight ball games. Um, I mean, defensively, I've actually been really happy with them overall, minus a few stretches, especially in the Sacramento State game early and um, in the kind of the middle of the game for – Seattle, Xavier Johnson especially has been very impressive to me defensively, which is really good to see. Uh, you don't know how he's going to 
you know, how that's going to come out of injury. He's kind of quietly been really solid. Definitely looks like he's lost a step um, athletically, but he could just be getting used to the game again. We'll see. But he's still putting up numbers and doing things that we ask of him. So from that perspective, I'm really excited. Uh, Wesley Gordon's got to do more. I know that he had 11 and 14 in that Seattle game, but he's missing too many bunnies. Shot the ball well from the free throw line, which is nice, and rebounded the ball well. Uh, but Seattle's really short outside of that one monster they had that was in foul trouble the whole game. So those are the type of things you expect from Wes, and I need a little bit more from him offensively. Uh, just getting guys healthy. I think I'd like to see George King be a little more aggressive on offense. Derek White even be a little more aggressive than he has been because he's injured and he's still proving to be the best player on the court. Um, he can take games over, especially attacking the paint. He did that late in the game, got got Josh Fortune some wide-open threes, also went to the uh, foul line a couple times and converted. So those are things that we need more from him. Overall, I think we're fine, honestly. Uh, we have the issues that we thought we were going to, rebounding defense a little bit to some degree. But uh, we're super deep, and, you know, you're going to have some ugly games, but that's Dad Boyle is your basketball coach. That's how it's going to be. Yeah, we were kind of biting our tongue when we were doing our preview show because we – Saw Derek White roll his ankle in practice, yeah. and of course, like I said earlier in the show, Tad Boyle uh, doesn't want us obviously releasing that stuff, but he's come out since and, and talked about that ankle injury. We didn't think he was going to play in that season opener. Um, he comes out and, and looks like the real deal, and kind of one of the things you were wondering about this basketball team was whether he was going to have kind of the mannerisms on the court to kind of take over at times, and I think we've seen that yeah. from him. Yeah, it definitely has looked... If more so than in practice, I think this team knows that he's the guy they have to go to. But he hasn't played a ton because he is injured. And Tad is being smart about making sure that they get him for the part of the season that's important. So I think if they can get him healthy and feeling really comfortable, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, a lot of people are concerned about him playing point guard and I'm not. It's like, <laughs> has he shown you anything in two games to suggest that he should not be the team's point guard? Because if I don't know what you're watching, if that's what you think. Well, we get to see Bryce Peters now. He's going to play for the first time in that Louisiana-Monroe game mm -hmm. on Thursday night. What uh, What are your expectations for him now that he's eligible to play? Honestly, I haven't seen enough of him to really say. Uh, he's really athletic. Um, kind of in the, He's kind of more in the Thomas Hockey-Zilly mode than he is in the Dom Collier mode. He's going to be get you up and down the court. He's not a guy that I don't trust shooting the ball quite yet. He's a streaky um, shooter, though. When he gets that shot going and he gets rolling sometimes, he can be pretty dangerous. Yeah, so, that, you know, those are... That's important, but at the same time, he's got to know as a freshman that if it's not going, he's got to turn it off, too, and get other guys involved. So we'll see. I think he has a chance to be really good. More guard depth is always awesome. I mean, DeLeon Brown has been really solid in games so far for me. I really like what he's doing, especially defensively. He's kind of a kind of a difficult um, cover. He's kind of an interesting type of player. Um, and Akizili, I think, has been great so far, despite the fact that he can't make a jumper. So if, that, if he ever hits a couple of those, he's going to be a really dangerous yeah. player because he has been fantastic in all other facets so far. We haven't talked about Lucas Seawards. We talked about how pretty his jump shot is. I don't think he's missed a three yet. I think four for four. Yeah, he's missed a couple of baseline Jays. I don't remember if he missed a three in the Seattle so. game no, or yeah. not. Yeah, um, He didn't do a whole lot in that Seattle game, but he looks comfortable out there, which is great. I mean, he's not forcing shots, which is also awesome. Doing pretty solid defensively, rebounding the ball a little bit. I've been overall really happy with how the freshmen have played so far. You did the schedule preview. Did I don't know how much you looked into Louisiana Monroe. Do you know anything about this basketball team? Yeah, I mean, they're uh, of the three, they're projected to finish the best um, nationally. So uh, improvement overall, it looks like Sacramento State compared to uh, Seattle was – we took a step up there. I think we're going to take another one here. 
Um, that, you know, teams from the south usually are pretty gritty, uh, like to get up and down. So we'll see how, how it goes. Um, Seattle's projected to finish higher in their league, but Monroe plays in a better league too. So I, I think it's a game that, you know, if we struggle, it'll be tight for longer than it should be, like it was against Seattle. But if we play decent basketball, we should win by 20 pretty, pretty easily, I would think. I actually thought the result of the Seattle game, them getting kind of a scare at home was something that Tadwell would almost enjoy because when he's talking to this team and practices now, he's got a tangible game to point to. Right. He claimed in the post game that he definitely did not enjoy that on any level. Oh, he did not look like he was enjoying it. I was, I sat with my boss and my girlfriend courtside for this one, so we had a pretty good view of Tad right across the bench, and he was definitely not pleased. Whether it be the refs or the players, he was absolutely freaking out. He, George King had one turnover on a fast break where he didn't outlet the ball, and Tad went absolutely ballistic. It was crazy. It was awesome. Do you think that was enough of a scare to, to maybe wake up some of those guys? Yeah, I, I would think so. I mean, that game was what, they got it down to like four with three minutes left, I think. Yeah, I mean, Seattle's they're going to play better teams than that, so they better start playing uh, a little better basketball. I mean, if they played that way against Notre Dame, they're going to get smacked. So hopefully uh, Tad Boyle got his point across a little bit. Um, at the end of the day, though, I mean, if they shoot the ball decently, that's not a close game. So I think they, you know, they're, they're always going to focus on their defense and rebounding. By and large, those were both pretty solid in that game, so Tad's going to like that. But offensively, they have to be smarter against these better teams or they're not going to play well. After that game against Louisiana Monroe, this basketball team is going to head out to New York early, uh, spend the weekend out there. I would imagine get a couple practices in, kind of get the jet lag out, out of uh, their system. You're heading out to, to Brooklyn, no? No, oh, no. I can't. Yeah, so I was supposed to, yes. Um, my parents live out there. For those of you who don't know, they live on Long Island. And uh, But my brother, who was living with me here, decided that he was going to Australia for six weeks. And my parents thought that was a pretty cool idea. So they decided they are going to go meet him for two weeks. Uh, so I got stuck at home. What do you, what's on the docket then for, for I'm just going to work a bunch because Amy okay. is gone too. She's That's a be, Yeah, she's with her family. So, yeah, I'm just going to work a bunch. I'll watch these games. Maybe, maybe relax a little. I haven't done a lot of that lately. So it will be nice. Maybe get some time to just hang out on the couch. All right, Tyler. Anything we're missing here? No, nah, man, I don't think so. It's been a pretty incredible year for uh, Colorado athletics in general, though. I mean, just cross-country stuff is gearing yeah, up now. First and second nationally. Soccer is playing in the NCAA tournament. They're in the second round, women's soccer. But they're playing the number one seed number now. Number one seed, yeah. South Carolina, <laughs> I want to say, is, there, is who they're playing. Uh, so that'll be tough. Volleyball's kind of taking a nosedive. I don't think they're going to make the tournament. It doesn't look like. But, uh. Pretty cool for CU overall, man. I mean, especially football and basketball are the big ones that we care the most about. But I should probably know this, but how is J.R. Payne doing? They're 2-0. Sure. Uh, they beat Northern Colorado and Air Force, I want to say, uh, their first two games so far. So, I mean, I, I don't know if they're expected to be big time in the Pac-12 this year or not. But, you know, small improvements. They got a young team. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. Come on, man.
Pipe.